Welcome. We're going to continue uh, in a time of worship through giving, and uh, I'm grateful for, for a generous church that we have here that, that, um, that we get to hear week in and week out about what God is doing, um, whether that be uh, Pampering Pathways, and uh, you're going to hear more with, with Woodhill Community Center, some opportunities for us to get connected next week, which I'm very excited about. So um, giving teams are going to get ready here with the little giving thing. Oh, there they are right there. And you can also give online at uh, restorationlex.com slash give. I know many of you do that, but we are so grateful for what um, you guys pour into this church. And not just finances, but time and resources. This is a, such a generous church, so we're grateful for that. Let me pray for it, and then the giving teams will come. Jesus, um, we continue in that worship. We continue in your greatness. And, and God, it seems like there's some things that are spiritual, and there's some things that are are practical and less spiritual, but, but Lord, teach us that the giving of our finances takes just as much of the presence of God as singing and, and being in this, this space together because it's an act of trust, two different acts of trust, saying we trust you with not just my voice and my song, but I trust you with my finances, I trust you with my time, my, my resources, so so Jesus, today, what, whatever we give, um, I know you're going to multiply it, whether that be here or online. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to serve your kingdom through this generosity. And uh, we, we know you're going to do great things through it. So we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, thank you, uh, Ban. Just an incredible time of worship today. I really appreciate your leadership in that, and... Uh, just love coming up, filled up, and, and being able to speak out of that fullness of what's happening there. Um, if you're not here before, my name is Justin, and we're in a series called How to Grow. We've been talking about how to grow, how things are beginning to sprout outside, and we see that. I look outside each week, and I wonder if that vine is going to start growing some beautiful uh, little leaves, and it's finally beginning to look like springtime out there. And, and as we see the things around us, we see trees and we see the blooms of the cherry blossoms and we see the plants in our yard and wherever that may be and we see the, my backyard that looks like a jungle right now and needs to be mowed very badly. We know that spring is here, things are growing, things are alive and so this whole series we've asked, are we growing? As we see everything around us growing, are we growing too? And I know some of you are green thumbs, you know how to grow stuff. How many of you have a garden? Anybody? So there's like three of you. Good for you. The rest of you are, we, my garden's called Kroger, and it does well. I can't grow anything at all. I, we kill everything that we have ever grown. We are really bad at it, except for, except for this corner of my house, the back left corner. Every year I forget this, and every year it's behind this tree so nobody can actually see it and be impressed by it, except for my neighbor to the, to the left. But, but in that back corner, these, these flowers bloom every year. Take a look at this picture. This is one of the pictures. They're, they're tulips, and, and they, they bloom every year. There's gold ones, there's red ones. And every year I forget that they're there because I didn't plant them. And every year it looks like in this one random corner of my house, I actually tried and did something good. And so I want to almost cut the entire tree down just to make people look like, like, see, look, I grow things. Like, I'm proud I did it. I grew it, and it's beautiful, and I always forget that they're there. And, and now, to be clear, as I said, I did not plant these flowers. I forgot they're there. I always forget they're there. And every spring, 
It happens, and then I try my best not to mow them and run over them when I do that. I do that sometimes as well. And I started to wonder, like, where did these come from? So first of all, like, I researched, I used Google, and found out that there's a difference between plants. Those of you who know this, don't look at me with that, like, you should know this already, look. But there's things called perennials and annuals, right? Don't, don't look at me that way. I already see some of the looks. The you should know that by now. There's perennials and there's annuals. So this is a tulip and it's a perennial. A perennial is a plant. I'm giving you an HGTV talk now. A perennial is a, is a plant that, that you can plant and it keeps coming back for two years or more. An annual comes and it, and it uh, comes for one year, and it dies. And so I learned these things. I learned all these cool things this week, right? Guys, it was wonderful. And so, so over time, through every season, this perennial just keeps coming back. And, and if it's tulips, it's because they, they, they find a bulb. There's a bulb underneath. Look at this picture. This is tulips you'll see. And it's not just roots. There's this bulb. Now, annuals, on the other hand, annuals grow really fast. They produce a lot of seed. Their roots grow down, but then they die because they're not really made to last over time. But, but what makes tulips, specifically the ones that I have in my yard, what I found so fascinating by this is, is that they don't just have a structure underneath that's, that's roots that go down and get nourishment. They have something that's always preparing them for the future. Something beneath the surface, something right beneath there that's growing and that you cannot see this bulb. This bulb it stores nutrients and it's, it's, it's forming the growth for the future. You start to see the little shoots that are going to be coming out next year. And it's strong. it makes it stronger. It's deeper in there. And that bulb, when everything dies on the surface, that bulb will make sure that that sustains itself over the winter as everything else dies. So why am I giving you this HGTV lesson? Or for most of you, apparently, look, judging by your looks, things you already know. Well... It's because as we've gone through this series, I, 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 it's reminded me, as I'll, I'll be in ministry now 14 years this year, it's reminded me of one of the more painful realities of what we do here. And that the painful reality is, is that I recognize that some people come and I see growth in their life, we see growth, we see excitement, we see things happening, and then a year later they're just gone. Like, it seems like God's doing something incredible, or maybe it lasts a couple years, but then all of a sudden, it's just like something happens in their life, and everything begins to wither away. It's probably, for me, the most painful part of, of being a pastor, is seeing people who get excited and, and, and seem to be growing, and seem to be, 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 be showing just amazing life, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, they're, they're gone. But then one of the things that excites me the most is seeing people who who through many different seasons, through circumstances, through pain, through failure, through doubt, through downright disbelief, they just keep going and they just keep growing. They're, they're really perennial Christians. They're Christians that have something that underneath begins to sustain them. Even when everything on the surface looks like death, there's something deeper there. There's something deeper Last two weeks, we looked at John 15, and Jesus talks about growth. He talks about what that means to, to put down roots and to grow into the vine. And there's a, there's a verse there in verse 16 that we read, but we kind of breezed over it. And, and I want to notice this one little, one little part here that I think is, is incredibly important that we miss. So look here at verse 16. It says, 
you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I always skim over that. Not just bear fruit, but, but Jesus wants to produce in us a fruit that will last. So is Jesus saying he's going to essentially create a fruit that once you pull it off of a tree, you sit it down and it never rots again, some sort of genetically modified superfruit? I don't think that's what he's saying, because that, that's like a little plastic apple that you sit on your table at your grandmother's house. That seems fake. It's not real. No, when you pull fruit off of a tree, eventually it rots. I think what Jesus is saying here is not that this one particular fruit will last forever. It's saying that that one particular fruit will die, and then the seeds of that fruit will multiply. The fruit will last because the fruit begins to multiply season after season after season after season. And that's what Jesus is calling us to in his fruitfulness is a fruit that will last over time. Jesus is growing us both for now he's growing us for the present and the future he's doing work in us right now whether you recognize it or not he's doing work in us that is sustaining us now but underneath the surface in ways that you and I cannot see I know and I believe Jesus is actually growing something that we can't even see that's that's sustaining us for the future We only see the tree, but Jesus sees the forest. We just see the plant, but Jesus sees the whole garden of our lives. And there's things that's happening in us, praise God, that we are utterly unaware of. That one day we'll look back and say, that was going on deep within me, and I had no idea he was doing that. Praise God for that. So if we want to grow spiritually, if we want this to be more than a passing season, just something that was a fad in a certain period of our life, we have to ask the question, what is it in our lives that sustain us? What makes this last over time? What makes us grow in a way that grows, in a way that grows, in a way that grows? There's a book in the New Testament called Ephesians. Many of you have heard of that. Ephesians is a book that Paul wrote. And a scholar, he says you could sum up Ephesians in two words. Grow up. Ephesians is, is a letter to the church that is very immature. They don't know how to do this. They're, they're not in Jerusalem where everything started. They're far away. They're figuring out this whole Jesus thing. Paul, their, their, their original leader's not there. There's, there's some new folks, and they're getting their stuff together. And Paul writes Ephesians to them to say, this is your chance to grow up. So if you read Ephesians, it only takes about, you know, a few, few you know, 10, 20 minutes. It's not that long. If you read through this letter you'll begin to notice this pattern of of Paul telling them what God is like, and then as he tells them what God is like, he he then tells them how to live out of that, for for, for what God is like, and so how should we live in response to that. In the middle of Ephesians, he he stops. It's, It's very strange. He stops and he prays for the Ephesians. He stops and prays for this very young, immature church that's trying to figure their way out together. And this is what he says. Listen to this prayer. Don't just let this prayer be for the Ephesians back then. Let this prayer be for us, for restoration, for our lives. He says, Father, out of your honorable and glorious riches, 
Strengthen your people. Fill their souls with the power of your spirit so that through faith the anointed one will reside in their hearts. May love be the rich soil where their lives take root. May it be the bedrock where their lives are founded so that together with all of your people they will have the power to understand that that the love of the anointed is infinitely long, wide, high, and deep. Surpassing everything anyone previously experienced, God, may your fullness flood through their entire beings. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want to pray that way? And when I read those prayers, the prayers of Paul and some of the prayers in the Bible, sometimes I think about my own prayers and I think God's, <laughs> I'm just talking to God like, hi, God, here's what I'm doing today. And it's so beautiful that you see the intimacy of Paul with God to feel the freedom to pray and to ask for such big things there. The most vital thing Paul talks about for their growth, for our growth here Both now and the future, the very definition of growth itself, whether you saw it or not, is right there in this prayer. Right in the middle of it. What is it? Anybody know? Anybody want to take a guess? It's love. It's the love of God. And we receive this love. It says, may you have power with all God's people together. We receive that love of God through his power and through his people. That's a whole other sermon I don't have time for today. But the love of God is what he prays for. I pray that your roots grow down deep into the love of God. And as you grow those roots together, that, that you will sprout up and see how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. That you'll experience together in a way that you cannot on your own the fullness of God's love for you. In fact, it says that the fullness of God is his love. I'd argue this, that the the heart of spiritual growth, the heart of spiritual growth for us is the continuous discovery. For you and I, it's the continuous discovery of the all-surpassing love of God for us in Jesus. So what it means for us to grow is you discover continually, more and more and more, that you're loved by God. It means it's more than a strategy, it's more than than knowledge, it's more than a Bible study, it's more than a conference or a podcast or a sermon. All those things are good, all those things are important, but we only grow to the degree that we know that God loves us. I've had a lot of conversations over the, the last few years with folks coming to me and, and, and wanting to talk about their faith, struggling in their faith, um, not really sure where to go, take the next step. And, and I did something a while back, and I've begun to do this with everybody I talk to in these situations and these struggles. And so maybe this is you right now. You're out there right now. You're thinking, I don't know where I'm at with my faith. I'm struggling. I don't know what I believe. And every single time, this is the, God prompted me to ask this a long time ago, and I've asked it every time. I just asked them, do you believe God loves you. And almost every single time, if there is a struggle in faith, they say, I don't know or no. Every single time. And I started to see that pattern over and over again, that the struggle really when you 
tore away the surface and got down beneath, there, there was a reality where they believe in some sort of God that maybe loves someone, but there's not in their heart of hearts a real belief that God loves them, that God loves you. And something happens in us when, when we stop believing that, or if we've never believed that. Something in us begins to, to wither. It begins to kind of shut down. And, and no matter how hard we try, the strategies that we have, we can read our Bible every day, we can pray, we can be faithful in coming to church and giving and doing all the right things and, and, and going to city group. Everything that is good that we, we long to do as followers of Jesus, all the right things. But if you do not know in your heart that you are loved by God, roots will wither. Roots will fade. Life will begin to shrink up. You will, you will feel the dryness of the season because you will be doing everything that they tell you to do, but you won't feel anything because you just don't believe that you're loved. So my wife, she's not here today. She's on a girl's weekend. I've had the kids most of the time. If I look very frazzled and tired, that's why. My wife, she is a dietitian. Do you know what a dietitian is? I was going to make a joke there, but I remembered this is recorded, and I'm not going to say that any longer. My wife's a dietitian. She teaches people how to eat nutritiously and, and well. And we started dating in college while she was still getting this degree in, in nutrition. And I was her first uh, project. And. Um, Literally, I think, and, and, you know, anyway, so I was her project, and at the time in college, y'all, I was just pounding cheeseburgers and Cokes like nobody's business. I mean, you're just, you're in college, you're free, you know, this is back when I could, you know, take $5, and that would fill up my tank for, like, half a tank, and I'd be good for, like, a week, and I could just go to McDonald's and buy, you know, whatever, and just, just, just pound stuff. My, my big claim to fame in, in my 16th birthday I decided I was going to drink 16 L8s in one hour, and I did, and um, that was, uh, praise God I didn't get diabetes, I don't know how, like it, 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 was, it was not a good, I didn't go to sleep for a while, that was a, that was a bad decision. No joke, before we met and started dating, and pro actually well into our relationship, I had never eaten a salad at like 22. I had never eaten a salad, like fruit salad, but that doesn't count, I know. Never eaten lettuce or anything intentionally in my whole life. And it took like the Wendy's salad where they pour an entire bucket of chili on like one piece of lettuce to make me actually start to eat salad. And I got all proud of myself for eating that one piece of lettuce underneath of the chili. And it began to be my, that was my gateway salad into some deeper and harder salads that I began to eat there. But she was always, like, she had all these rules and stuff. And I was so, like, I loved L8. And I loved just eating like crazy. And she brings all these kind of buzzkill rules into my life where I'm not allowed to eat this and I have to stop drinking soda and I have to, to, to eat things called vegetables and things like that. And, and it, was, it was, at first, really, really tough for me. Honestly, very tough for me. And, and the more I began to know her, though, I started to realize, like, wait a minute. She loves me. 
She's doing this because she, she loves me. And, and all of a sudden, the more I experienced her love for me, the more I saw that she deeply loved me and cared about me and wanted my transformation, I began to notice that the rules and the guidelines didn't really feel like burdens anymore. In fact, they, felt, they started to feel like freedom. In fact, I, I, you know, from the point we started dating till, till you know, a little bit after we were married, I, I lost about 40 pounds, um, which was pretty significant with as much as I was eating and stuff. I, I saw transformation in my life, and it did not feel like a burden because I began to know someone who loved me, and I know and see that that person who loved me desires nothing but good for me and is giving me opportunities and, and, and ways to, to grow in, in ways that I never had done so before. What felt like guidelines and what felt like burdens and what felt like a buzzkill now felt like love. And when I felt love, everything began to change. And here's the thing. I knew all that stuff before. I mean, it's not rocket science, guys. If you eat right and you exercise, it works. Everyone kind of knows that in general, but it took love to change me. Didn't matter the rules. It took love to change me. There's something you need to know today. As we've progressed through these three weeks of talking about growth, you need to understand that, that you and I, we grow to the degree that we know how and how much that we are loved. I'm going to say that again, and I want to, I want to just pray that the Holy Spirit keeps us and, and, and lets us receive that. We grow to the degree that we know how and how much we are loved. I know a lot of things can, can change us. Like shame can change us. Shame can drive you to make changes in your life, can't it? You ever been, been feeling shameful and that's made you make some changes? Or, or guilt? Do you feel guilty about something? Like, well, I gotta, I gotta do this. I just, and and, and it, you start to see like change over time. Like shame and, and guilt and fear. Fear's a great motivator. You get scared, buddy, that will get you changing really fast. It will change you. But only love will grow you. You know there's a difference, right? There's a big difference between I'm changing and I'm growing. Fear, guilt, shame, they will always change you for a time. But only the love of God will actually get into your life and grow you in a way that lasts. Eugene Peterson, he puts it this way. I love this. Listen to this. He says, our culture is filled with change. It's poor in growth. New things, models, developments, opportunities are announced breathlessly every hour, but instead of becoming ingredients in a long and wise growth, they simply replace. The previous is discarded, and the, immediately, the immediate stuck in until, bored by the novelty, we run after the next fad. Men and women drawn always to the new never grow up. God's way is growth not change. God's way is growth, not change. We can plaster as much Christianity and Jesus all over everything we do, but if our faith and our pursuit of spiritual growth is driven by guilt or fear or shame, it will wither away. 
I don't know why you're here today. Chances are that some of us are here motivated by one of those things. You feel guilty for something you did in your past, and so you think, I need to get back into church. I need to start doing these things. Or maybe you feel shame for something you did. Or maybe you're just afraid. You're afraid that if you don't get your act together, you're, you're never going to get your act together. So something is motivating the decisions that you're making, and it's driving you, and maybe it's beginning to change you in some ways, but unless it's love, it will not grow you. Unless it's love, it's empty religion. Unless it's love, it will wither away. You may see change in your life, but I pray the Holy Spirit today gives us wisdom to see whether change in our life is actually growth or if it's just the false motivations of the enemy getting into us and actually bringing about something that's not going to last in the long run. Only the love of God grows us. Only the love of God, the degree that we know and know how the love of God is in our lives, will we experience real change. So we have to ask, how do we know the love of God? How do we know that? One of Jesus' closest disciples, John, the one who wrote the, the beautiful passage we, re- we read earlier in the, in the, in the scriptures here, and he, he describes himself in his, his gospel as the disciple Jesus loved. And you start to notice in his, his, uh, his writings, love is all over the place. I actually want to come back and read a little bit of what we heard earlier from that. Listen to these words again in light of what we're talking about here. He says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. All of this, friends, is founded on that one revolutionary statement in there that says God is love. Love is not something that God has. Love is not something that God does. Love is something that God is. It is his character. He has other attributes. He is holy. He is righteous. He is the judge, but he is a loving, holy God. He is a righteous, loving judge. Love permeates every single aspect of his character because God is love. If you go out into the world, you'll probably walk up to a person and say, do you believe in a loving God? And almost everyone that believes in some form of God will say, yes, God is love. We believe that God is a loving God. And I heard a pastor one one time ask a person that and they said, yes. And he said, then, but how do you know that? How do you know that God is love? There has to be a way of knowing that. 
See, the good news today is we can know that because we see it in his son Jesus and what it says earlier that on the cross he became the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What does that mean? It means that fear and shame and guilt on the cross died with him. That when he was hanging on that cross, the, the shame that you feel, the guilt that you feel, the fear that drives you even now, it says perfect love is driving out. Perfect love is driving out fear. Perfect love is driving out our shame. Perfect love is driving out our guilt. It is driving out everything in the name of unconditional, agape, perfect love. And we see that in Jesus on the cross. God is not here. Please know today, he is not here to shame you into getting your act together. If that's the picture of God that you have, leave it behind today. Let it go. Romans 8 says, there's now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. It's gone. You're not condemned. You're not punished because Jesus took the punishment. There is no longer shame. There is no longer fear. There is no longer guilt because God has given you on the cross. He has given you nothing but abounding, everlasting love. It's a love that stands in our place for us. Remember earlier I said in order to know the love of God, we need his power and we need his people. It says that I pray that you'll have the power together with all God's people to know how high and long and wide that we need both of those things. We need to experience his love both by the power of the Holy Spirit and by his people. I cannot eloquently say anything whatsoever today to make you believe that God loves you. Only the Holy Spirit himself can open your heart to that love. No preacher, no Bible study, no sermon will ever get you to click. Oh, I get it now. It is only the Holy Spirit of God that opens up our hearts and our minds to receive that love and to believe for once, finally, I can lay those things down and just receive love. I believe there's people here today that need that. You just need to lay these false notions of God down. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years and you believe in God. You believe even that God is a loving God, but you just, if you're really honest, you just, you don't believe he loves you. You like the idea of a loving God, but you've never experienced that love for yourself. I became a Christian at the age of 11, walked down front, did the whole thing, you know, told everybody I was a Christian more than anything, there was a lot of fear behind that. I, I felt conviction, and I knew God loved me, but I was afraid of dying and going to hell. Which, if you didn't know, that's a pretty terrible reason to become a Christian. Just fear? No. That's not why, but that was driving a lot of that decision. And so I became a follower of Jesus, but there was a period for, for many years, about five years, where I just did it. And nothing was really happening to me. I didn't feel anything. I wanted to, and I kind of felt the need to feel something, and I wanted to feel something, and I just thought I was kind of broken. 
It seemed like everybody else was getting these experiences and like, oh my goodness, and they're, 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 God is moving and I'm, I know and I've done all the right things and I'm just not getting it. And, and one night at a service I was at, we were singing a song and I can't explain this. There's no, if you do this, it'll happen. But we were singing a song and the words were, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? And something in me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, broke. It just shattered. And I, I began to weep. And I was, I was like a freshman in high school. It's embarrassing. But I began to weep. And I began to just say, he, he did this for me? He did it for me? He did it for me? I was a Christian for years at that point and never really believed that God loved me. And so today, here's what I want to do. I want to, just a little different before we take communion, I I want to to stop and I want to ask the Holy Spirit in this time to let that breaking happen on us. That if you are here today and you maybe have been a believer, maybe you're not a believer, I pray that the Holy Spirit today comes in power and gives us an experience of the love of God that we've never had before. So if you're feeling today that guilt or that shame or that fear that has been driving you all along and you need prayer, myself and some other folks will be back there. We'd love to pray for you. But whatever that is, let me pray for us and let's just ask and be open to receiving what the Spirit wants to do in us today as we sing these songs. Holy Spirit, you are the power of God manifest among us. And today I come and ask that you do more than we can. break through cynicism that you break through despair that you break through guilt that you break through shame that you break through fear and today just simply show us how much we are loved by you this is love not that we loved God Not that we came to you and finally got it figured out, but this is love. Not that we loved you, but that you loved us. That you sent your son here for us. You did it for me, Jesus. You did it for every single person in this room. Today, make that abundantly clear in and through us. In the mighty name of Jesus.